Thank you, Amber, for reading chapter one for us. Wow, we're in a different book, aren't we? (laughs) Sounds a little bit different, Ecclesiastes 1, than uh, what we've uh, been reading in other parts of the Bible. Um, And so I just want to begin by acknowledging that. I want us to just start today getting a feel for this book that we're in, okay? And so we're going to do that by just asking some questions, starting with, how does it make you feel hearing chapter 1 read? Noel? It sounds a little depressing, doesn't it? A lot depressing. I keep thinking Haley's raising her hand, but it's just her bun sticking up above her head. It keeps catching my eye. I'm like, Haley, oh no, it's just your bun. It looks good. It's a good bun. Good. As far as buns go, I, oh wow. I didn't pick up on the second meaning of the word until, until I said it just then. Moving on. Who, uh, what else? How does it make you feel? It just kind of, as you know, also it sounds depressing, but just like, it just sounds like, well, what then? Like all the things I've done, like the toiling I do here when I'm working, is it just, is it worthless? Is it not what you've been doing? Like the question like that. Yeah. If I work, is it even worth anything? Exactly. Why, why do anything if it's all meaningless? That's a great, great question to come up with. What, um... Just reading this, what genre would you say this book is? Or another way to ask that question is, what other books of the Bible might be similar to this one? You know what I mean by genre, kind of type of book, yeah? Yeah, so Psalms is similar, yeah. That's exactly right. Any others that... Proverbs, I heard? Yeah. This is like, this is like the dark side of Proverbs, Okay. <laughs> This is called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, it's, it's poetry, and a lot of it is poetry. And believe it or not, there's a lot of wisdom in chapter one, okay? And we want to we kind of get to the heart of what that is. So to do that, let's start asking this question. What observation is the author making about life? Or observations, there's a number of them. But what are some of the observations he's making about life in general? Anything from chapter one. People are like mouthing things to me, but I I can't hear you. So raise your hands. Yeah. Everything is disappears and everything is forgotten. That's a big one, right? We see that in um, verse nine. No, eleven. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. We we said this back in our James series. We studied that life is a mist. He said, and I asked you guys. Um, How many of you know your grandfather's name? How many of you know your great-grandfather's name? And how many of your great-great... I mean, within just a few generations, we have already totally forgotten our own family, right? That's how quickly things are forgotten on this earth. So that's that's one thing he tells us about life. What other observations does he make about life, just looking back at that passage? There's nothing new under the sun. What do you think he means by that? 
Like, I got a new car the other day. That's new, right? Or is it not? What's Everyone's got a new car, right? We always get new cars. And then what happens to them? They become old cars. And then we need to get another new car. And it becomes an old car. And the, the new hot 2018, or we're in the stage where we're in the 2019 versions of the car coming out, it's just, you know, it's, it's all the rage. But what happens? There's another one next year. And they made it better. And it happens every year. Oh, isn't it frustrating? Like you never get, you, you don't ever get, you never arrive at the best because it's always being made better every year. Good. Okay, there's nothing new under the sun. Same thing goes for your computer, right? Like the second you walk out the door, they put a new version in the spot that you just buy. Dang it, I thought I got the best one and they had another one right there. Immediately it's obsolete. Right? Nothing new under the sun. What else? What other observations are being made here? Keep looking at that text. Like the number three, what does man gain by all the toils under the sun? The generation goes and the generation comes and the earth remains forever. So it's kind of like the earth's just here and it's just like kind of like if you personify it, it's just like watching as your life for like one after the other. And it's just, it stays the same and then it's like wind. It just keeps passing and passing generation after. Right, so this, this ancient rock that we're standing on, you know, I, I don't care what was said at your graduation about how great your class is and how you're going to change the world and you're the future, guess what? Every other generation was great and was a new class and was going to change the world too, and they're all dead and you're going to die too, and there's going to be another great and new class after you, and they're going to change the world, but the reality is... The world's just going to keep going, watching people come and go and come and go and come and go. That's life. What other observations does this guy make? What else do we see here? Let's, let's just get yeah. one more. One more. Yeah. So, it says, like, no matter how much work you do, there's always more work to be done. Like, he says the earth remains forever. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you've given your life to something, to improving it, to working it, to making it better. It always needs to be sustained. It always needs to be kept up. It's always, there's always more work to do. You never arrive, right? Because let's just hypothetically say you're a farmer and, and you make you know, a great crop and you've got all sorts of stuff. You, what do you need? You need a place to put those crops, right? And, and those buildings over time, what happens to them? They decay and they get older. And there is no place where you ever arrive where you can just sit back and relax and enjoy it all because... This world is constantly decaying. There's always more work to be done to keep it going. That's right. So there's always toil to be done. Well, let's walk through this passage, okay? But before we do that, I want to ask a big question. And the big question is this. Why study a book like this? We might even say, why is this book in the Bible? Why is this book here? And I'm going to give you four reasons. The first thing that is really Maybe depressing at first, but I think um, sweet in the long run is that this book is honest about life. This book is honest about the fact that life 
is hard. And if I were to speak from personal experience, I would say that if you, if you looked at my life from you know, grade school up through senior year in high school, even early college years, what you're trying to do in that stage of life is just you're trying to piece it together and understand what makes sense. And you're being fed the answers by people like me and your teachers and your parents, and we're telling you how to make sense of the world around you. We're teaching you that Christianity helps you to understand life and meaning and purpose and all of that. But the reality is, a day is coming for each one of us where we get a little disillusioned with that. Where we realize there's really hard questions out there and my like three Sunday school answers that I have don't answer them. What do I do now? Sometimes those questions are even asked in the context of the church, and that's, a, that's the best place to ask them. And uh, I learned them, you know, at, at Wheaton College as a student, asking hard questions. Um, and so this book, one of the things that's sweet about this book is we see in the Bible that while there's hard questions out there, the Bible doesn't run away from them. In fact, there's a book dedicated to entering into those hard questions and asking them and sitting with them. The author of the book here, the preacher, um, he does that for us. One commentary says that he captures the futility and the frustrations of a fallen world. This book is about, it's honestly about the drudgery of work, the injustice of government, the dissatisfaction of foolish pleasure, the mind-numbing tedium of everyday life, the treadmill of our existence. I like that image, the treadmill of our existence. We're always running, but we're not getting anywhere, right? So this is honest about life. It's honest about, um, it's, it's skeptical. How many of you, not, you don't have to raise your hand, but skepticism is something that rises up in us, and sometimes we're afraid to engage with it. You know, we have doubts, we have questions, and I don't ever want you guys to come away from this room thinking I've been taught never to engage the questions because the Bible engages the questions. The Bible says there's hard questions out there. Let's look at those and talk about those. Um, When we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, it should strengthen our foundations because we've asked the hard questions and it'll keep us from crumbling when we have that friend who's a skeptic Or in my circumstance, I sat next to a guy on an airplane once, and he thought I was just the dumbest person in the world for being a Christian. And he just went question after question after question. Every question was this basic question. How can you know that this is so bad, all these sins, if you've never tried them? That was the big question he had for me. And he just went, I mean, we went through prostitutes and drugs and And he was talking really loud, and there were a lot of people around us, and I was just like, you know, I answered the best I could. But are are those, is that line of questioning ultimately going to cause you to crumble? When you go to college, and you're invited to your first frat party, and the alcohol's flowing, and and there's pretty girls and good-looking guys, and we're living it up because we're young, and this is what life is about, this is what college is about, this is why you go to college people say. That's not what their parents are saying. They're paying for it. Do you have answers in those circumstances? Do you have anything to say 
you know what, I don't think, you know, I don't think this is a great path, and it's not just because my Sunday school teacher told me to say that. You know, like, there's more reasons than that, and Ecclesiastes is going to help us get there. Um, Another reason to read this book is that it clearly teaches us what a life apart from God has to offer you. That's what the author is doing here. He's saying, come on a little journey with me. I'm going I'm to show you something. I tried life under the sun. This is a really important phrase. I've tried life under the sun. And let me show you where it got me. Learn from my mistakes. Watch my experience. And don't do the same thing. That's, that's essentially what we have 12 chapters of here of watching where life gets him, pursuing uh, purpose in all the vanity of life. The third thing we should think about when we read this book is that it, it helps to kick up hard questions and get beyond the Sunday school answers. What is the meaning of life? Why am I so unhappy? Does God even care about what's happening to me? Why is there so much suffering and injustice in the world? Is life even worth living? This book helps us to answer those questions, to ask them first so that we can answer them um, and answer them in a way that is more satisfying perhaps than you've ever answered them before. Getting us beyond maybe just, well, I know that God loves us and, and Jesus sent, you know, Jesus died on the cross for us and sin has affected the whole world. Those are kind of in the Sunday school answer realm. And those are the right answers, but we need to know why they're the right answers and understand how they help us. Finally, they help us to love and worship God better. At the end of the journey, at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, at the end of walking through um, the pursuit of meaning in life apart from God, it should leave us feeling so thankful for God's grace in our lives, that God would come into this world and come into our hearts and save us from the drudgery of pursuing meaning in life and nothing that can give you meaning. So those are just some reasons as to why we should read this book and why the book is in the Bible. So now we're just going to go um, verse by verse through this first chapter. Um, this stuff is not easy to understand, so it's helpful for us to kind of think through it verse by verse and get a better understanding. All right. So, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, this is really interesting because what we have here is we have a title, the preacher. And we're going to learn two Hebrew words today, okay? Um, So these are our two words. The first one is Kohelet, okay? The word Kohelet, it, it means someone who gathers people to, to address them, okay? And that's translated the preacher. Some translate it the teacher. But it's really helpful for us because we realize that the preacher, the one who's talking to us here, isn't just someone who's disgruntled and sitting in the woods writing negative philosophy. Life sucks. It doesn't have any meaning. It's just rotten. He's actually telling people this. It's for the purpose of speaking to a group. 
because there's some wisdom and there's something to be gleaned from it. So we, it helps us to know right from the outset we should, we should stick with this guy. Right? He says, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Now, we know that there was a son of David, the, the only really immediate son of David was Solomon. But then everyone who is in Solomon's line was also called the son of David, which is why Jesus was also called the son of David. So it could really apply to any of these kings who came after him. But it's very clear that whoever wrote it, which know that we don't always know who wrote different books of the Bible, and that's okay. Okay, we don't have to know like everything about the book to know that it's in here for a reason. God's the one who got it in here. Um, but it could be Solomon. It could be someone else. But the big idea is they're writing this book as if they're Solomon, which is, you might think, they're lying to me. If they're not Solomon, they're lying. Well, it's actually a genre. It's something that we, we do in our own literature. It's normal. It's okay. All right, but it helps us to understand where it's coming from. Okay, so that's all I'll say on that. Then we get to verse 2, which says this wonderful line. Oh, my goodness. My clicker is going crazy. There we go. Verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, this is our second word. The second word is hevel. Okay, everybody say hevel. Hevel, okay? Hevel is this word that has... there's not always a one-to-one correlation in the words in Hebrew to the words in English. Um, and this word is used in a lot of different ways, but it's a word that means smoke. It means breath. All right? Think about, you know, stepping out in a couple of months and, and you're on your way to the bus stop and you breathe out and you see that white breath come out of your mouth on a cold morning and it's there for a second and then it goes away, right? Think about the smoke that comes up off of a fire um, and how it, it just looks real and substantive and, and white and it has a strong odor. But if you were to reach out and try to grab it, what would happen? It'd just go right through your fingers, right? So what he is saying here is vanity of vanities, hevel of hevels, all is hevel. Everything in life is a breath. It's a vapor. It's smoke. And he uses this throughout the book in a number of ways, but he's trying to teach us something about life. He's saying life is temporary. It's fleeting. You try, to, you try to get life, you know, by the reins and like really get everything you can out of life and it slips right through your fingers and it's gone. It's, it's an enigma. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. Like you think maybe if I just read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, I would, you know, I'd get it and life would have purpose and meaning and there'd be a happily ever after, just like in the fairy tales. But there are no happily ever afters. Okay? Life is unstable. It's unpredictable. Proverbs says, if you do this and this and this, God will bless you. And that is true in one element of life. But there are people out there who did this and this and this and this, and their husband died, or their kids were killed in a car accident, or they got cancer. Now what do we do? Was Proverbs wrong? How do we understand that? Life is unstable. It's unpredictable. Life is elusive. It's hard to, it's hard to, just, it's hard to just get it and, and, and get a good grasp on it. It's like, if I could just do this. If you, you guys will meet people like this in life. And there's people who have these schemes. If I just did this, everything would go right. And they're constantly chasing what this is. Right? Um... So life is smoke, it's a breath, it's all vanity. 
And then um, we have uh, verse 3, the key question. So this is the big idea. Life is all vain. Verse 3 is the big question. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's a big question over the book. What do we get from all this running around that we do in life? What is there to be earned? What is there to be gained? Me, you know, like, I have to get on the National Honor Society. I have to be in this club. I have to have this, you know, credential on my resume so that I can get into the, get this college. And then I got into this college. And then it's so that I can get this job. So I have to do this and this and this at this college. And now I got this job. But if I want to keep this job, I have to do this and this and this and this. Right? It's just this endless pursuit. Um, what is it worth? Where does it get you? That's the big question here. And he says at the end of this, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now that is really super duper important for us to understand this book. Because he's tipping his hat to us to say, here's the perspective on life that I'm exploring. I'm exploring life under the sun. And it's a way of saying I'm exploring life outside of God's loving grace. Here's what life looks like when I try to find meaning and purpose and joy apart from God's loving grace. Now, it doesn't mean he's completely separated from God because we see in verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So it's not like he's just an atheist. He's taking on the perspective that there is a God. He's sovereign. He's orchestrated everything that's happening around us. But there's no acknowledgement that God is loving and merciful and gracious and has provided meaning for us in this life. He's trying to find meaning in all the ways that people in the world try to find meaning and we try to find meaning in our own hearts apart from God's grace. And so he tells a poem. He gives us a little poem to help us with this on the meaninglessness of life. So let's look at our lovely little poem here. (laughs) A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains the same. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. Look at the world around you, he's saying. There's endless repetition. There's endless running. There's no progress. The word he uses for the sun is actually the word it pants. So the sun is running around. This is their perspective. The sun is running around the world, you know, rising, setting, rising, setting. And it's like even the sun is tired of the monotony of this. (sighs) The wind, it blows one way and then it blows back the other way. It it went from here to there and then it went back. Why don't you just stay there, wind, and now you're going here and then you're going to go back over there. The rivers are constantly bubbling and babbling. But guess what? The ocean never fills up. They never run out of water. They just keep, you just keep going and going and going. There's no progress being made by these streams. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. Listen to this translation of that verse. All things are weariness. A man cannot utter it. He says, all of life is far more boring than words could ever say. <laughs> like, I, he's like halfway through the poem and he's like, I'm even tired of the poem. I'm just, like, I'm just, I'm even tired of trying to put this into words. It's just so frustrating. 
life is so wearisome and toilsome, it's hard to put into words. And then he goes on to our bodies. He says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. Like how many of us, you know, the entertainment industry, you know, is huge. You know, we used to like go see plays and then we got to go see movies so we could see it more often because it didn't take human actors and we could just like see movies. And then we could watch it in our home on the TV screen and then we could put it on our phone and have it in front of us. And yet, we're never satisfied with it. We're always like, we want more and more and more and more and more. The ear, it's never filled with hearing. Right? We sit and we listen and we listen and we listen and never do we feel satisfied. We're never like, I want to have a surgical procedure where I am now deaf. Except if you're like a mother of four young children, then maybe, maybe you want that. Right? But you know you'd, re- you'd regret it eventually. But you don't really, it never gets filled up. What has been, what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. In other words, in history, it's all just repetitive. There's nothing new in history. Nations rise, nations fall. There's war and there's peace. And guess what happens during times of peace? We know that there's going to be another time of war. We love talking about world peace. Have we got there yet? No. Just more wars. Okay? Just keeps coming. Is there a thing for which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things. Okay, so, oh, is there nothing new? You might say, of course there's new things. We have cars. We don't ride in, you know, a horse and carriage. But the reality is... You know, the first guy who was walking, you know, and saw a horse and was like, I bet I could go faster if I sat on that guy. And then the next guy's like, if I put two of them on a thing with wheels, then it would be even faster. And then the next guy, you know, is like, it's, it's, there's nothing new. We just want to get there faster. And why do we want to get there faster? So that we can just keep running ourselves into the ground and keep going and going and going. What, is, has it really helped us that we can go on leather seats instead of a wooden chair? No, life is still going to end. You're still going to die. You're going to end up buried under dirt just like everybody else who rode on a horse or a carriage before you. What are you going to have to show for it? You're going to be forgotten within a few years. That's life. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. We forget so quickly. I mean, we forget in our own lives, right? So, like, for example... I'm doing work in my kitchen, and I'm saving myself a little bit of money. So I'm going to hook up my own ice maker line. So I spend, you know, an hour learning how to cut open a copper pipe and and attach a fitting to it and get the thing run up through the floor, and I'm very proud of myself. And then I feel some of the water coming out of it. It's hot. Do you want hot ice cubes? (laughs) No, you don't. And the reason I attached it to that line is because I saw where I attached my humidifier to that line, and I thought, you know, I remember attaching it to the cold water line, so I'm going to attach it to the same line. Oh no, I attached it to the hot water line. How quickly I forgot. And now I have more work to do today. Right? we, we, we We don't learn. We're so quick to forget things. So here's my question for you. His observation that there's no lasting significance. Can you think of examples of how this is true in your own life? You guys toil, you guys work. Where do you feel the monotony of all that? Laundry. Laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just in general, like, school. It's like you get your assignment and you're like, yes! 
I'm done. And then you look that next week and you're like, oh, I've got a test. And then next week there's a quiz and then there's a test and it just keeps going and going and going. Right. And then but when like school is done, you're like, oh great. And then you're like, wait, I have work to do. And so then it just keeps going. Yeah. The satisfaction only lasts so long and then it comes up again. Cleaning the house. Cleaning the house. Just keeps getting dirty, right? <laughs> Yep, just doing drill after drill after drill in gymnastics, yep. Eating. I like eating. But no, it's so true, but you like it for that moment. You know, oh, it tastes so good, but what happens? A few hours. It's just, it's hours that go by. And there's times where you're like, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go out to eat for lunch. This is great. I'm going to eat a nice sandwich. And then dinner comes, you're like, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go out to eat, you know? Because it, because it didn't like fill you with this satisfaction. You're like, whoa, that knocked it out for the year. I don't even, like, I am so satisfied with that meal I just ate. No, you're not. You want more. Adam, I honestly thought of you with mowing the lawn. Your lawn mowing job, right? My goodness, it just keeps growing. You know? You get it looking all nice and perfect, and then just back to being scraggly and unkept within a week. Um, how about Weekends. We live for the weekends, Friday, yes, but then it always ends, it's just every single time, back to Monday. Someone said Ecclesiastes was the only book of the Bible written on a Monday. <laughs> right? Just keeps coming. Well, the end of this chapter, we'll, we'll look at really quick, just a couple points and we'll finish up here. So the vanity of human toil, he says... You know, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and search out wisdom and all that is done and under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it's all vanity, a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Okay? You fix something that's crooked, and guess what? Their next thing is crooked, or this one's already getting crooked. You know, what you counted, it needs to be counted again. Um, everything, all the toil is vanity. And then the enigmas of human wisdom. We're going to talk more about this next week. But he says he applied his heart to wisdom. He applied his heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly. Perceive that this is also a striving after the wind. How many of you have chased the wind? How well did that work out for you? Right? Chasing after wind. He says, for in much wisdom is much vexation. This, what I think when I hear this is the more you know, the more you know you don't know. The more you learn, the more information you get, the more you realize how much information is still out there, right? And he who increases knowledge increases, increases sorrow, he says. That the more he learned, it actually didn't bring him satisfaction, it brought him sorrow. So we are going to study this book, and the question is, how do we feel about that? And I want you to keep in mind, before we move on these things, and then we'll be done. Keep in mind that this is a perspective that we need to hear. It's a perspective that helps us to be realistic about the world around us, and it lets us play the skeptic. I don't know if you've ever been tempted to play the skeptic. Well, I'm inviting you to play the skeptic. To stop trying to have all the answers and to just sit with the questions for a little bit. Just to sit and think, these are hard. Life is hard. And just feel that for a little bit. And then I want to encourage you with this. 
that this book fits in with a bigger book. This is a book in the whole Bible. It doesn't contradict the Bible, it supports it. So the end goal is to get us to the same place that every other book of the Bible does. Um, And so while the preacher has observed there's nothing new under the sun, listen to what the rest of the Bible says about newness. The Bible teaches us that life under God's grace, uh, when we look at life under God's grace, we see that God is doing a new thing, Isaiah 43. That God has made a new covenant, Luke chapter 22. That God raised a new life up from the tomb, Jesus Christ. And he gives a new heart to those who believe in Jesus, Ezekiel 36. And he is making new creations, 2 Corinthians 5. And he's giving them a new self, Ephesians chapter 4. And one day, he will make a new heaven and a new earth. So when we look at life from a perspective that takes into account God's grace, a lot of newness is happening. And Ecclesiastes should drive us to pursue that instead of the monotony of finding meaning in something other than God's grace. And so the closing challenge for you guys today is this. I want you to think, where are you looking for meaning in life? You might want to ask, am I looking for meaning in life? And the answer is probably yes, we all are. But where are you looking for it? What is your purpose when you wake up on Monday morning, which is coming tomorrow, just like it does every Monday, okay? What's your purpose day in and day out? Do you have one? And will the meaning that you're living for stand up to the hard questions that we're going to ask in the book of Ecclesiastes? That's what I want you to be thinking about this week. Where are you pursuing meaning? And then bring your uh, either good answer or very depressing answer back, and we will sit with some more questions in chapter 2. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. And Lord, though it may seem like a dark and foggy uh, text that we're in this morning, I thank you that we have a God and a word, um, an instruction book here, that doesn't avoid hard questions, but engages them head on. And so give us wisdom, give us patience, give us discernment, um, and Lord, help us to be drawn to you at the end of each message and drawn to you at the end of this book um, in thankfulness and uh, worship and a desire to participate more in the grace that you offer to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.